They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. To make. I like to watch Judge Mathis on TV from time to time. It's a guilty pleasure. I mean, he's so hood. But he's a judge. He's on TV. I'm not mad at him. Support the black dude. You know, that's what I do. Try to support anything black if I can. It makes sense to me. And Judge Mathis is a guilty pleasure. And I watched an episode where this young lady who was involved in an altercation, a kerfuffle, a fracas expressed that her cousin, with whom she had this Donnie Brook, that she needed to work on her emotional regulation. I said I like that term, because at some point I think we all do. That's easy bait for me to jump right into the whole Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, but there is a life cycle for certain things like this, or is there? We'll get to that in a second. But when she said emotional regulation, I thought about myself and how I handle things and how I deal with Conflict. It's on a case-by-case basis. I'm not going to give you all the answers to the test. But know that for the most part, I try to stay as even-keeled as possible. That's why I say I'm maintaining. Never get too high, never get too low. But I try to assess the situation based on its impact. Sometimes I miss. Sometimes I am mistaken. Sometimes I hurt people. It happens. Sometimes I hurt myself. And to deal with the aftermath of those feelings. It's tough sometimes. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on with our guest. And maybe at some point, I'll share with you what I'm going through. And maybe I won't. Because that's not necessarily what we do here. But let's enjoy it all the same. And welcome to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcast can be found. I spoke on news cycles and this whole, like it became a whole racial thing, white people melting down about, oh, Will Smith, he did this. I'm like, you didn't melt down like that about January 6th, George Floyd. Why are you tripping now? Relax. Women lose their hair all the time. Whatever Will Smith did, even in his well-manicured, PR-focused apology to Chris Rock, instead of talking to him man-to-man, he took it to these rough interweb streets again. We can have some insulation and some cushion between actually dealing with the emotions he, he, he faced that evening, what he did as a result of those emotions, and also trying to figure out how to regulate those emotions. I guess this is the way, instead of talking to Chris directly. Cool. Resigns from the Academy. And I thought the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Louis Alcindor Jr. penned a very on-point piece that kind of mirrored a lot of the things that I said last week about it. But 
as soon as you do something like that, people want to pull out their receipts they have on you and what you've done. Yeah, that's what he did, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have an opinion. And for all those receipt pullers, if we had access to all of their public faux pas, you probably wouldn't be so happy and so excited and so energized by the possibility of trying to tear down someone else who wants to make commentary on the thing. At this point, I'm done making commentary about it. Some people say, oh, why can't we handle their open relationship? We talked about it all day. And I noticed something else online recently that, and it was from a woman who said, you know, these guys who comment about Jada and Will and their relationship and why how that affected his decision to go up and assault Chris Rock on live national television, guys say they want an open relationship, but what they really want is the ability to cheat in peace. I chuckled. I guffawed. I did. I thought it was cute, and I thought it was something that bears some mentioning as well as merit because many a person have said they're about that life so that life shows up right in front of them. Then the goalposts move. Someone who also said he was about that life, even though he didn't show that, or maybe he is showing it, is Benjamin David Simmons of the Brooklyn Nets, who, along with the Players Union, the NBPA, the National Basketball Players Association, has filed a $20 million grievance against the Philadelphia 76ers to get some of that money back for him calling off work. Calling sick, but actually being there, not doing anything, saying that he had mental health issues, can't mess with that too much. His back was hurting, herniated disc, can't mess with that too much. He didn't want to play. He said he'd never play another game in Philadelphia. So this is going to be very interesting to see what he's going to recover. I'm sure he's going to recover at least part of that. They'll come to some sort of agreement so they can move on because Philly's not going to give him the $20 million. He claims he's been aggrieved. Hmm. I could point to two or three or 12. I can point to a couple of Philly fans who might disagree with him. Maybe those Philly fans won't disagree with what Glenn Rivers said about his new point guard in the backcourt there in Philadelphia, James Edward Harden Jr., who in a loss against a team that, at this point, Philadelphia should have beaten as a jockey for playoff position. And a loss to the Detroit Pistons in the post-game interviews. Glenn Rivers said that, uh, you know, maybe it was James. And that's the reason that they didn't succeed in that game. Now, taken out of context, you could say he was calling James Harden out until you see the whole interview. And notice that he was talking about the second unit and how they played with James Harden and that they've been having issues with the worst bench in the NBA as far as for one of the playoff teams. But they're not the worst bench in the NBA when the other guy, the MVP candidate, Joel Hans Embiid, is a part of that second unit when they switch off and have either one of those guys on the court at any one time. So maybe he is calling out James Harden. I don't know. You guys decide. What we do know is that Nick Wright was calling out Kevin Wayne Durant. He's poking at him more than anything else. You know, he's talking about how Giannis continues to dominate KD in their matchups. Since he came to Brooklyn, he's 0-5 against the Bucks, And they make it personal like these guys are playing one-on-one. But okay, KD versus Giannis. I get it. And how Nick Wright goes online and he's needling KD about not one time to one of the greatest ever players in league history, probably the 12th or 13th greatest, as Nick Wright put it, to ever lace him up, was never really the consensus best player in the world to him. He was always second. There was a big Sports Illustrated article years and years ago about Kevin Durant being sick and tired of being sick and tired and coming into second place. Second pick of the draft, second to he who shan't be named, 
and a lot of things. And now that when he has a legitimate opportunity to be that guy, this young lion from Greece of Nigerian descent, is eating everybody's food and taking food off of everybody's plate because that's what the lion does. He eats when he wants to. And right now, this is what Giannis is doing. <laughs> and I don't know when food came to mind. For some odd reason, there's this movie by one of my brother's favorite movies. The movie called Soul Men, featuring Samuel L. Jackson and the late, great Bernie Mac. These guys are in a band. They're old now. They're trying to get back together. And Bernie Mac goes over in one scene. He's trying to recruit Sam back into the group so they can roll out Recapture some of that glory from the past. See what's next out here in these streets. And he says, you know what? I'm going to get out of this dirty place. Go back to my hotel. Take a bubble bath. I can't imitate Bernie Mac. Order me a steak the size of your motherfucking back. Take a shit shower and shave. And I'm going to come pick you up. And we're going to get out on this road. And maybe that's what the hashtag said when they started to recruit all these old guys. Trying to put the band back together in L.A., whatever that band was. A band of future Hall of Famers, no doubt. And should have been three guys in the top 75 and 75 list. Because as much as I've railed on Dwight David Howard over his career, I can't deny the stats. I can't deny what he's accomplished in this league and still active in the league today. So the Lakers have four Hall of Famers in this squad have four top 75 players of all time on that squad, despite their ages. So, as everyone said at the beginning of the season, they're going to be old, they're going to be injured. The leader of the band, he who shan't be named, said, keep that same energy. Oh, I know people are keeping receipts. So I'm sure these people are asking if the hashtag wants them to keep that same energy now or not. We'll find out. Shout out to Ron Shelton, Woody Harrelson, and Wesley Snipes for 30 years ago, White Men Can't Jump hit the screens. And that was one of my favorite basketball movies ever, but it's really not just about basketball. Shouts out to the elder, elder Marcus Johnson, the Milwaukee Bucks, color commentator on their TV network, former Buck himself, one of the best small forwards in the NBA in the 80s, who was also in that movie. Raymond, is that you? Give me your money. You have to see the movie. Every time I think about that movie, I think about my guy, the 2019 Full Court 21 All-World Champion, Demi Slosa. Now, he's a white guy that can jump. And, I mean, he got bounce. Watch the videos. A movie worthy of Hall of Fame nomination and Hall of Fame notice, so we want to salute White Man Can't Jump, and we also want to salute the 2022 Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame inductees, Swen Cash of the WNBA, Emmanuel David Ginobili, Tim Hardaway, Coach George Carl and Coach Bob Huggins for making the Hall of Fame. I have arguments for all of them. And I will only watch the Hall of Fame ceremonies if Bob Huggins wears that tone-on-tone pimp suit that he used to wear at the University of Cincinnati when he was the coach there. Gotta wear that. I gotta pull that up and post that soon. But congratulations to all you guys. And as it is done each and every year that the Hall of Fame nominees come up. There's one name that always comes up and people debate back and forth about, and that is a friend of the program, a friend of my old programs as well, Robert Keith Ory. He of Houston Rockets, Los Angeles Lakers, and San Antonio Spurs fan. He of seven NBA championship rings, the only non-Celtic with that number of rings, not Michael Jeffrey Jordan, 
not the hashtag, not Kobe Bean Bryant, blessed dead, not even Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal, but Robert Keith Orrin. So Timothy Theodore Duncan, on the great Timothy Theodore Duncan on that list, or he has more. Now the argument is that this guy never, never made an all-star team, didn't lead the league in any category at all, shouldn't even be considered. Had a seven-point average in the NBA. But he got seven rings. And he wasn't the guy that was like just on the bus. He was helping drive the bus. If you want to really look at it, and we're going to do that. And this is not me caping one way or the other. But I'm talking about the criteria by which we judge it because every year it seems to change. If we did it on scoring, great. He's not going to win in that aspect. This part we know to be true. Okay? But if that's the case, if that is the main criteria... He's eliminated automatically, right? But it's odd that the man who won the most scoring titles in NBA history before he won a championship in 91 with his team, he was considered a ball hog and would never be a winner. Winning a ring changed all that. So maybe it wasn't just the scoring, but it was the winning. Let's keep that in mind as we move forward. We know about his lack of individual greatness, but if you get Nick nomenclature, which is like out of service purpose because you don't play even though you were a high draft pick or something like that, that's not good. But Big Shot Bob means something. Big Shot Rob means something. That means you were clutch when it mattered the most. This is not subject to debate. And we'll get to that. So what are those intangibles that made him a Hall of Famer? He wasn't great at scoring. He could score. He wasn't a great passer, but he could pass. Was he a lockdown defender? Not necessarily, but I mean, a guy who's not in position to get 20 rebounds in the game, did so. If you needed something, he was like a utility guy. He was a Swiss Army Knight. He was, you could call him Scottie Pippen Light if you wanted to. Is that a reach? Probably some people will say that. But a lot of you didn't know or may not know that Robert Keith Ory was the first player to record 100 steals, 100 blocks, and 103 pointers made in the same season. Name someone else who did it. From a versatility standpoint, you could get more. He still holds the finals record for the most steals in a game with seven. Most three-pointers made without a miss in the playoffs. Yeah, he got that. I think people say, oh, you're partial. Well, they matter. I didn't create the stats. That's what happened. At one time or another in the history of the game, Robert Ory was the all-time leader and three-pointers made in the NBA Finals. He could shoot, block shots, defend the passing lanes. He could do everything. He wasn't one-dimensional. And he did it when it counted the most. We're not. If we were arguing that he could do his thing in January or February. No, we're talking about April, May, June. That's when he did his work. So let's be clear. Do the Rockets win those two championships without Ori being there as a rookie in 94 and then in 95 when they won again the next year and they were the sixth seed, the only sixth seed in NBA history to win the NBA title? Nope. I bet my house on that. When he goes to LA, how many titles did Shaq and Kobe, how, how many have they won together? Because they were there together since 96. How many had they won before Robert Ory showed up? I wait. Oh, none. Then they went three in a row. I wish I was making this up. He's a big factor in all of those, all three of them. He wasn't just on the bench just for the sake of being on the team. And then he goes to San Antonio. And San Antonio was good for winning in the odd years. So they won in 99. They skipped 2001 because the Lakers did that. But in 2003, they won a title. In 2005, they won a title. In 2007, they won a title. And somewhere in between there, Robert Ory helped them to win two of those. Clutch plays against the Pistons in 2005, as well as at the end of his career, 
against he who shan't be named and the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2007. It's not the Hall of Achievement. It is the Hall of Fame. And you have to be really good to have a personal top 10 clutch moments in the NBA and not be named one of the top 75 players at 75 in the history of the game. He's the one person that has that. Robert Keith Ory played in seven NBA Finals. He's seven for seven. There are guys like Barkley, Malone, Elijah was 0-1 before he showed up. Shaq was 0-1 before he played with Ori. Come on, man. Think about it. Now, I know that an NBA career alone is not the criteria by which you judge Hall of Fame greatness or worthiness. But in comparison, Casey Jones, who won eight rings with the greatest winner in team sports history, William Felton Russell in Boston, also won two NCAA championships in the University of San Francisco with Russell, won an Olympic gold medal in Melbourne in 1956 with Russell, and won all those titles with Russell. So it's about being in proximity to great players, and that's why he shouldn't have the... But wait, Casey Jones is in the Hall of Fame, averaging the same amount of points as Robert Keith Ory with one more title. Maybe they're counting his collegiate and Olympic background. 100% understand it. But now let's put in more recent context. Draymond Jamal Green Sr., who will be a Hall of Famer. He will. Three NBA championships, Defensive Player of the Year, National Player of the Year in college. Way more accolades than Robert Ory. But a comparison nonetheless. Robert Ory didn't even start as many games as Draymond did. But I don't know. This can go on ad nauseum. I just think that the consideration... It's necessary. And of course, as a friend of the podcast, we've had him on and talked to him. He's my rookie when he was in Houston in 94. Love hanging out with him and Eric Riley and this other rookie by the name of Sam Cassell was there in Houston at the time. But I think he's, at, at the very least, he has some Hall of Fame worthiness, even on just his NBA career alone. And you're Hall of Fame worthy for sticking with us and coming back for more on the other side of this on the open run with Will Strickland. Back to me more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with a man of many, many hats. Javon Shepard, he late of the University of Michigan, go blue all day, every day. All day. He met the national basketball team in Canada, professional basketball internationally. Wait, I'm violating. Let me welcome you first because you're supposed to run your resume. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, sir. Hey, I appreciate you for having me, man. And that, that little open there, I like it. Somebody might believe you. They might they might think I was somebody, but no, it's, it's good, man. I just... The, you know, I, this that ball has don't, been. You don't have to play humble. You ain't you ain't got to play humble. It's Listen, okay. You know what? You should never be ashamed of your accomplishments. I'm not saying you have to go out and trumpet them because they speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. But there had to be some work that went into getting all those hats in the first place. So embrace that and I will. acknowledge that. that there are people who appreciate the work that it takes to do what you're looking to do and you're continuing to do. So. Embrace that. It's all good. No, for sure. You know, and I, I think 
where I was headed with that is just saying this ball, that 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 round, that orange ball is just taking, you know, a lot of us across the globe, a lot of us across the world. But, you know, in my in my case, great took me a lot of places, gave me an education, took me across the world, put food on my table to feed my family. And now I'm even seeing the fruits of that labor more right. Open mm-hmm. doors that I may not have had the opportunity to be in, have conversations, rub shoulders with people that I may not have been in you know, in the mix with before. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm always, I think the humility comes from, I'm never at a point where I'm satisfied. So I'm always on, you know, thinking about the next step until I'm, until I'm in a position where I'm giving back to, to my community the way I want to, I'll never be as, as comfortable um, in speaking on the accomplishments. Right. And I think that, that true, that true um, measure of, of, for me, goals is, is just being able to be in a position to make sure I'm, I can open doors for for the others, you know, younger generation coming up. Do you realize with the advent of social media and with the multimedia platforms we have today, just seeing a face that looks like yours on television is a door opening every time someone sees that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So bear that in mind, whether you want to be humble about it or not, is that mm-hmm. somebody sees it, whether it's That's one real. or one hundred, they see it, they That's acknowledge real. that. And they go, what? I can do that. And then they it's figure out ways to create connected tissue and find out who you are and how to get into contact with you. It's funny you said it because I just came off a conference call speaking to some some youth about the same thing. And something that stuck out to me, too, they asked me, you know, what's been, you know, my, my biggest, most memorable time so far during this experience uh, in, in the media landscape and the broadcasting or front office, whatever you may have. And I told them, really, it was. The first game I did with the Raptors, like I've, I've had a really great, great ride. You know, the national team, you know, broadcasting the national team, playing for them, whatever the case may be, Olympics. But when I went up, when I had my first game calling the Raptors game for TSN radio and, you know, I'm there before the game. I, I see, you know, the kids, the, not the kids, sorry, the, the kids coming into the arena. And I remember, like, I used to be up at the 500 level. Right. And that's when they used to call it the Sprite Zone. You saw right. always dream about being on the floor just to watch the game, right? And then I see, you know, the guys warming up. And this is this is stuff I dreamt, the NBA, everything I, I, I dreamt. And then the arena was packed. And this whole arena, I'm calling the game beside Paul Jones. And, and I'm realizing it's my, my voice throughout the whole on the concourse. I dreamt about being on the floor here. And not to mention just, just for kids that look like us and, and talk like us to mm-hmm. see this. Like there's somebody up in that 500 level that, that seeing like me there and and I was that kid and now to like manifest that and, and be able to, to give back that for me was was a surreal moment 20 to 18,000 people I watched them pack in there and I remember being up at the top and now I'm at the I'm at the bottom not just watching the game but I'm actually I'm, I'm calling this game like you're paying me for my expertise on this on this game that I was at 500 level sprite zone never thought I'd even be let alone have the career I did but be a part of this whole machine here. So that for me was like a humbling experience, but at the same time, it was like it's real and it's even more inspiring for that kid. For you know, it's great this this hundred level and Gucci Row and all that, but right. get up up there where I was. Yeah, right? I mean that's that's one of those. That's his reality. That's one of those aspirations to activation situations, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you mm-hmm. dreamt it and now you're living that dream, right? Mm-hmm. Someone else can see that as well. But I was trying to introduce properly the vice president and general manager of the Ottawa Blackjacks in the Canadian Elite Basketball League, a professional basketball league here in 
the great white north of Canada, that's another one of your hats. So, but before we get to all of that, we got to get foundation West Hill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got to start there. So run your resume, sir, as I do with each and every one of my guests who comes on the podcast. I have you that's run your resume. Started. That's where it started, man. West Hill Collegiate. Um, I actually, it's funny. I went there in grade 10. I actually was, was going to a junior high at Don Valley in North York at the time. And, and I'll never forget this. I, I never had much, didn't have much. And I think this opportunity really opened up a lot of doors. And it was my, it was my gym teacher, Miss Nardia. If I could ever get in contact with her, like I owe her the world. She had gifted me a, a scholarship to Vince Carter's camp. Vince Carter's uh, Academy at that time. And it was like a week's camp or something like that out of her own pocket. You remember um, what year that was? That was, I'd have to date back, but maybe like 2003 or something. Like that. Was that the year at Ryerson? Yes. I yes. was coaching there. Yes. I was helping run that camp that year. Was it 2000? No, it wasn't 2003. It couldn't have been because I left. You were the blackout, if I'm not mistaken. Could have been. I got, well, we're going to circle back on it. <laughs> we should. So, so this, I say that to say she gifted me that out of her pocket. Mm. And I went there and Ro Russell and Wayne Dawkins seen me and said, look, you, what school are you going to? You got to come either here or here. Right. And make that choice to go. Like At that time, Denim Brown was coming to West Hill and we all went together. Changed my life at that point. Right. Like who knows what would happen if Miss Nadia had never, you know, gifted me that, that, that cap. Mm -hmm. uh, there and it's just really you know had that mentorship had that leadership had denim brown who obviously went on to uconn had a, had a big time career just show me how to work hard what it is to to be a pro before i even knew what it was like i'm, right. I'm a snotty nosed kid i'm just used to playing outside and pretending to be iverson and and you know just hoop right but no there was another level to get to it. and then when you see you know coaches like jim calhoun come into the into the into the school and roy williams and all these these coaches you're like no I want to. I want to be like that. Like I want that. Right. It doesn't matter at the time, but when those guys, when those figures walked into your school, everybody stopped. You could hear a pin drop, and you were the You could have anything you wanted. Mm. Um, so I knew that's what I wanted for myself. And then you know, put in the work. Ended up getting a scholarship. Could have pretty much gone anywhere I wanted to. And I, I think mm. you know, in hindsight, would I have made the decision to go to Michigan? No, because uh, I love love. Love Michigan, but was it the right decision for me in terms of um, looking at depth chart and so forth? No, but I didn't understand that. I, we didn't have that support at the time. All right, so let me ask you this, because that's I think that's key for young people. You know, you were at the Bio Steel game yesterday. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But in those formative years of your basketball career, mm -hmm. where it becomes more and more about your decision making and what you need to do for you. And all these schools will promise you pie in the sky and you feel like, okay, where do I have the best option to play? You choose the University of Michigan. As I said, go blue all day, every day. And you felt like that might not have been the best decision for you. Why is that? Like, what was the well, thing that led you to that? And then why do you think that was the wrong decision? So I'll say this. At the time, I have, you know, I'm, I'm a big fish in a small pond here. And I could have the pick, you know, virtually pick any school at that point i'm at the pinnacle of of high school basketball at this point you know 2005 this is when you know there was a down there was a down you know downturn and then high school basketball started to pick back up here so that decision wasn't really thought through at, at that point it was man let's go to the closest biggest school and right. that, it would be easy access for you know family to come easy access for entourage to come 
right. all that stuff, all the wrong reasons. Now, mm. at no point did we look at depth chart, did we look at style of play, did we look at anything? We've seen Fab Five, we've seen that amazing blue, we've seen, you know, that staple amongst all these other schools, just as big, if not bigger, but it was just, it was closer, right? I'm coming right. from, my family doesn't know much about, you know, basketball at that point. They're first generation, I'm first generation Canadian. They're all just coming from Jamaica. They're happy for, you know, you regardless. Some are some are happy, like, you know, things are going on for you. Some are apprehensive because you're you're going away from home. So there's that whole culture shock as well and, and mm. fear for, for the people that are your support system. They didn't know much about the business of basketball. Right. People that were in my corner, great people to help me to get to that point. But now it's time to take it to another level. They didn't have that experience, right? I I reached their everybody's ceiling at that point, and I'm forever grateful for everything they did. But now we needed that support system to take you that who can bring you to that next level. Right. We didn't have that. The kids today, because they're more knowledgeable, because of the failures that some of us had. I don't I, by failures I mean you know some of the learning experiences that some of the generation and players had before. We've learned from that as as a culture, and we're and we're moving forward, trending in the right way. You you provide these these young young men, young women with that support system that can help them make the right decisions based on what their goals are, right? And I think that was, for me, where had I made a different, a couple of different decisions or a couple of different moves, maybe it would have ended up a different situation. I, maybe well, I, I mean, we, we could do that forever. And I think that what should be gleaned from all of this is as great of a school as the University of Michigan is and the decision that maybe you look back on hindsight, might not have been the best one. You figured out how to count victory in those losses, yeah. whatever those were, and say, okay, at the opportunity, it didn't work out the way I wanted to. What can I gain from this? How can I move forward from this? Because I can't find it. I can't push it back. This is where we are, right? So made me stronger. Um, what was the process like, you know, being a high visibility high school recruit, going to the big university, not necessarily having the college career you want to have, and then looking at your future? Like, what was that future looking like? Uh, let me try out for the NBA draft or like, what was the process for you? What, what were the, so, what was the thinking there? I remember that day, that whole process up until now, like I went through, you know, a couple of different agents and in my mind, I'm supposed to be a one and done and people around me, my entourage, my camp, I'm supposed to be one and done two max. Like I go to the hoop summit. I play really well in the hoop summit. I'm in the hoop summit with Monte Ellis, you know, Martel Webster, Lou Will, who else? Tyler, was it Tyler? Tyler Hansborough, a number of Brandon Rush. All these guys essentially went that, and that was the last year that you could go from high school to the NBA. Right. All these guys entered right after the hoop summit. You know, there was some whispers, some some conversations of, you know, you could you should test. Yeah, you should do that. You should go that route. Again, the fear factor in my support system, not understanding the business of basketball, not understanding everything. So it was it was a no-go right go to college now this is a completely different world this is a this is a beast this is a this is a professional business when you step on campus go four years now didn't have the career I, I wanted to on the court and I remember just having anxiety because in my mind even after four years I'm still going to the NBA and mm. I, I remember the GM of the Knicks now had said to me I forget his from Detroit was with it was with the Pistons at the time I always remember him coming into me and saying and as a freshman, like, you're going to be all right, son. You're going to be all right. Keep mm. on that path. You're going to be all right. But I knew what that meant. So even then, that was reassurance. I'm going to the NBA if I do what I'm supposed to. Right. Anyways, and I left here at such a high ceiling that it, it was hard to fall from, right? To yeah. believe the reality of not making it is, is possible. 
So I woke up in cold sweats. I woke up in, with anxiety. And I remember in 2009, June 24, 2009, that draft, that last, I sat there and I watched every pick. I watched that second round, even come to the last, that last pick. I was so far detached from reality that I still thought my name was going to be called. And I was mm. gut-wrenched when, when it wasn't. Mm. And like, put me in a state of like, what next? I'm not going to say depression because that's, that's, a, that's a whole different conversation. But where, how do you pivot next? Where do you go next? And that was tough for me. That was, that was really tough. But I think also the adversity of going to Michigan and struggling, uh, having the struggles that I did have, not neck down because mm. from where I was tops, still one of probably the most talented, one of the most athletic guys on the team. But from neck up, psychologically, I wasn't prepared for it. But mm. having those struggles, having coaching changes, having one coach tell me, you know, you're not in my plan and me sticking around to, to try and prove to him that, no, no, I'm nice. To now, you know, hating him then and this being one of, one of the guys that Coach Beeline being in my, in my mentorship circle right now. Like just right. a relationship. It's bigger than basketball. But that was tough. But it also built me, guess what? I ended up having an 11-year career professionally after. I ended up playing, getting cut from the national team a couple of times and ended up playing another 10 years with them, being in and mm-hmm. out of the So it prepares you for, for life if you stick to it, right? And, and it's not going to be easy. I think what you said was so key in that is, is and what we, especially as, as Black men, and I hate to generalize, but I'll say this in my conversations with young Black men who I knew who went through this process, who were great high school basketball players, who had high visibility, and then things didn't turn out the way they thought they would. And the psychology of around dealing with the business of basketball, I mean, myself included, mm-hmm. playing in major Division One university down south in the old Southwest Conference. That's how old I am. Texas, Texas A&M, mm-hmm. Arkansas, SMU, TCU, Texas Tech. Like, that was our conference. Mm-hmm. And knowing that you had an opportunity to play and you you stuck around even after the coach, coach was like, you know what, this is our guy, even though you knew you were more talented than that guy, and trying to prove that. Like, you don't have the support system that understands – and I don't think we're equipped to say, hey, I'm hurting. I need some help. At all. And it was a different time. And now that we have that, I think it's great that you are able to share that part, that you went through that and you talked about the, you know, from the neck up, the things that were bothering you and you were troubled. But who did you have to turn to? You couldn't turn to the coach. Couldn't you couldn't tell your family who was already expecting you and, you know, your entourage who were expecting you to make millions upon millions of dollars playing the league. So who you turn to to say, I'm hurting, I'm afraid, I'm scared, that I'm not going to live up to someone else's expectations. And then you come to realize that the only expectations you should have is of yourself. And mm-hmm. those are the ones you focus on. We didn't have that. Didn't have that at all. And I remember like there was times where I, I laid in my bed and cried to myself, literally, mm-hmm. because you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. And the people that you think you're supposed to turn to, one, they're all, they're living out their dreams through you. They also don't have because and because of that, they don't have the courage to go to your coach and contest your coach for you on behalf of you, mm. right? And then on the other hand, the people that the people that love you or, or your family, they're not knowledgeable enough enough to even understand and have this conversation with you or you know a coach or advisor or anything because it's it's now it's a business. So you're right, like. You're, you're, you're 
on an island and it is a lot to deal with. There is, you've invested so much in, of this into your, of your time, into your craft. You've had goals, you've had visions to this point, you've accomplished all of them. You're trending on the right track. Where is the help and how, how do you ask for help? We've never right. been taught that as well as, is how to ask for help and it being okay. Would right? you say that this is, is again, I feel like I'm generalizing a bit, but I've found that these, this conversation works no matter who you're talking to who, when, with people who look like us. In our families, either we fight and get it all out or we take that to the grave. The grave. It's one or the other. That's it. And I, that, I, that I extreme is dangerous. Again, I, that extreme is dangerous, though, because we need to learn how to effectively communicate and not be afraid or ashamed because we've been, especially as men, young boys, whatever, or you don't cry. You don't complain. You just do. You're supposed to man up. Put some icy hot on it. Shout out to Shaq. I need to get that endorsement. My guy. Um, and, and because you're conditioned in that way, when I was saying that you don't know who to turn to, you should be able to turn to your family and say, look, you got, I don't want you guys to compromise anything. Or if I built up some unfair expectations, I'm a kid. I'm trying to figure this out, too. Mm-hmm. I need you to kind of fall back a little bit in respect that I have to learn and go through this process. But I want you to know that I want... I want to know that I can come to you and let you know that I'm hurting. I need your support, not just because you think I'm going to make millions of dollars, but because you love me, period. So I'm going to Sometimes I'm going to, conversation to have. I'm going to throw a wrench in there. My family was because they're so unbeknownst, completely supportive for them. It was just. Why are you even stressing yourself? Right. right. So the other side to that is. I, th- I think and we, we talk about black men as one. Well, maybe we're going off track, but we can. Oh, maybe, yeah. We're on track. I know I can speak for myself. I can speak for, you know, a lot of teammates that that we're having this conversation now didn't have fathers in their life. Mm. Right. And now there's also a problem with communication. Right. How do I communicate with another male or a male that's supposed to be an an authority figure or which would be the coach in this in this instance? Right. You don't know how to do that. So you can't even go into the office and confront the coach or say, hey, like have a man to man conversation because you've never been taught that. You've never mm-hmm. learned that. So you fear that. The coaches also know that they play on it. So they just become dictators at that point. Right. Right. So there's that component. Now, in Trust my back. case, it, it, it's it. Like a lot of a lot of males have a lot of males that don't have fathers, you know, use coaches as father figures in those, you know, especially in the high school grassroots time time frame or tender years. But then you get into college. It's now a business. That coach can't be a father figure. Anymore. Not not many coaches are that father figure. So now you don't know how to communicate with him. There's a bump in the road. Mm. I mean, it's not that like you're having you're having a tough time and you're battling it yourself. So that's a conversation we can have another day, which is at depth. So the other part to that was, yeah, when I found out I wasn't going to the NBA, I left. I just didn't know what to do. I had right. I didn't know what to do, but I'm proactive. Right? I went and I went and applied at a insurance company or something like that. Like a, a what was it a some center, whatever it was, right. and got to the interview process. They looked at my resume, recognized the name and whatever the case may be. The first question they asked me was, don't you think you'll be a distraction on the floor? Because it's a young, it was a young demographic in in, in the call center. Okay. Be, based on what they're seeing here, national team guy, you know, basketball player, at University of Michigan, whatever the case may be, everything that I should have on a resume at that point. They right. turned to me and said, don't I think I'll be a distraction on the floor? And how would I how would I be able to navigate that? And mm. then turn me away because of that. That's so deep. at that point, 
I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. Hmm. What am I? I clearly came here because I needed a job, right? I'm also at a, I'm also at a, a, a fragile point in my life where I'm trying to do something completely different to get away from this sport because it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. Right. That was also a blessing in disguise. I was running away from who I was. Right. Right. So ended up going on and playing 11 years professionally. Like, what was I thinking? Right. Got we're, the experience we're, we're, to bring my family across the world and, and have my mom, my grandpa, everybody see Italy, Europe, see a whole different perspective. They're coming from Jamaica and they, they never thought about this. Right. Where, where were some of the places on your stop, on your journey in basketball as a player that when you pivoted from like, I'm going to get the hard bottoms and, and put a resume out here to like, you know, I have to be who I am. I was running away from who I really was. Let me see what I can do with this. If somebody's going to pay you game you would play for free anyway maybe it's you know, not the NBA. i think leo rounds is a big help keeping me keeping me in the national team mix there when really i and and jermaine anderson jermaine anderson was huge because he i didn't have a dime to my name he used to come to my house pick me up in the morning and then go we would go work out right so that's the I, was, I was pretty much his sparring partner but at the same time you know and and i've gotten some advice recently i've, I've heard that if you want to be in the NBA, you got to be around the NBA, mm-hmm. right? So now in hindsight, if I wanted to be around, if I wanted to be a pro, I needed to be around pros. So Jermaine coming, picking me up every morning when he's going to work out and us working out together then us going to runs together and just being in that environment, right? Allowed me to take the steps or be in the right rooms. And guess what happens? Things that you just start to receive things. Naturally, the, the universe starts to, to, to send things back to you. I got onto my emails. I went on Euro, Euro Basket and just emailed every agent if they could give me a chance or something like that. A lot of the stuff that I'm receiving right now from some uh, some young kids. And then lo and behold, Canadian player Conrad Tota, uh, I don't even think we ever met. Mm. We reached out to him and he, he knew a coach and I was on the next flight like a month later. My, yeah. first, my first contract was maybe, maybe $1,000 per month with meals. Thank God with meals. And... Right the reality of everything started to sink in mm. reality slowly started to sink in. And, and then I got to, you know, re, redefine, refine myself and start to enjoy the sport again, but it's not all peaches and cream, man. And I think, you know, you always have to, that support system again, it's just always investing in yourself with the right people. Um, and, and that's planting seed. Those are seeds that you're planting in yourself into yourself and watering them. Uh, and that, so, so I say that to say all of this, that I, you know, wearing many hats now is also not just for me, man. Like I, I want all these young kids to see black, white, Chinese, yellow, green, whatever the case may be, women to see that there's avenues, there's there's things to aspire for and to be an inspiration because the game is growing in our country, but at the same time, there's peaks and valleys with it and just oh, being yes. able to stick with it. Well, I'm sure that when they listen to your story and they see this, that they will be inspired by the journey that you've taken and continue to take. And we're going to come back for more on the other side of this with Javon Shepard on The Open Run with Will Strickland. You're now listening to the sounds of the open run where the lecture is conducted from the mic of the speaker 
in conversation with the Vice President and General Manager of the Iowa Blackjacks of the CEBL, Javon Shepard. Javon, I know that you're all over the television airwaves, watching March Madness, mm -hmm. you know, commentating on the thing, the goings on there. A couple of years ago, when I was at TSN, well, more than a couple of years ago, Dwayne Watson and myself, we used to have a show called One-on-One -on -One with Will and Dwayne for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. It's One-on-One -on -One with Will and Dwayne, only on TSN, anyway. Um, we actually had Natalia Choma from the national team. She's, I think she's playing in Minnesota now for the Minnesota Lynx mm -hmm. in the WNBA, women's senior national team member. And we challenged her and her former university teammate because she went to Notre Dame. I love their coach's name back then, Muffet McGraw. Shout out to Neil Ivy, who's the coach there. And we challenged them to a two-on-two. -two. Now, we're older, so it's maybe a battle of the sexes thing. And now I'm way older, and I was thinking, you know what? If I had Javon and I, we played half court, game to seven, me and you against Tamika and Kia Nurse. Would we win? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I don't want to be the weak link, even though I'm the oldest. I want to be a weak link, so tell me why we would win. Because I can't see myself going into any game losing. I love that. I so love that. The ladies feel the same way. I'm we, sure don't they even, do. we don't even have to talk X's and O's. We don't even talk. We don't have to talk schemes at no point. <laughs> right now, we go, we're going in there. We're winning. Right. Well, right now, like you said earlier, Canadian talent is winning right now. You're yeah. at the Ohio Steel All Star Game. For the young boys and young girls in this country. Lots of great standouts. A friend of mine, his son was playing in the game, actually, uh, Zayden Cross yeah. um, looked good. But, uh, you know, uh, Leonard Miller looked good. I think I can't remember the young lady's name who won the MVP of the game. There's a lot of talent here. And where there was a time where all that talent had to go to the United States mm -hmm. to get recognized with the prep school situation in Canada, it's making it more visible for these young people to stay and viable for these young people to stay in the country. How do you feel about the game yesterday or this past weekend? And what are some of the standout talents you, you noticed? Um, it, it's it's tough, right? Like in this environment, also environment, you're not going to be able to really evaluate guys. Um, mm. so from that aspect, it's tough. But you you, you look at the level of talent, um, both on the women and and men's side. We're, we're in a completely different time. Had a female in the dunk contest and don't lobster. Um, Okay, so a, a young man who works for a very prominent sneaker brand mm -hmm. that rhymes with Nike hit me up and told me about the young lady. She had a reverse dunk and a two-hand I saw the two-hand. I'm like, what? Yeah, I, I seen Toby Fournier. Toby, yes, that was this. And from Quest, Crestwood. She had some – she could have won the, the NBA dunk contest this year. She would have been – she would have been there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you see that and you, you, you get to see where the game – has come like it's evolved so much and we have to one just appreciate that and, and embrace it enjoy it on the men's side you know Leonard Miller I think he's, he's a big time talent like you see at six eight pass it shoot it you know facilitate whatever the case may be Elijah Fisher yeah he's a beast, he's a beast mm -hmm. right um a, a lot of these guys and you know to your point um you look at the fact that it's no longer just fans and family in the stands coming into these games you look up in the boxes there's NBA executives if you talk about the week of practice you know a couple of days of practice every NBA team lined up that gym to come and see the talent right mm. 
we're at a it's a whole different landscape now it's not just for fun it's not just for you know family friendly it's it's getting real here now so well, it, it's already real and and you have this is unique to me in this instance and i made a comparison with you and a person you might not see as a comparison to yourself steve kerr let me explain okay so steve kerr was the national player of the year in college came in he won some championships in the nba goes on works in the front office in phoenix for a little bit before he becomes the head coach of the golden state warriors but he was a broadcaster as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you being an office person you're evaluating talent you having the ability to look at this talent not only from march madness standpoint being on networks here doing nba xl on nba tv canada and in your role in the cbl you're watching all this stuff mm -hmm. as well as being a broadcaster you have a unique bird's eye view to figure out where I can go, what I can do with this. Mm -hmm. We're in a very unique situation where you have a really good look at the talent on multiple levels and where that fits from your broadcasting standpoint. Is it a conflict in your mind in any way? Like when you're commenting on maybe a Leonard, Leonard Miller or someone like that, you say, okay, I can't say too much because I'm the general manager of this, but in this capacity, I can say this because of that. Does that ever come into play when you're talking about some of these athletes? No, because I think I really look at it from a holistic approach, right? Like, and mm -hmm. at this, if you're looking at young guys, I think there's always going to be points of improvement in their game, right? None of these guys are, are NBA ready right now or they're, they're growing, right? So we can always speak to development. And if you're a player and a competitor, there's you're always going to want to develop and compete and get better, right? So is it conflicting? No, I, I don't. I don't see it as that um, at this point. But you're right. Like you know, having wearing both roles just allows me to look at every aspect of of where we're headed, where talent's headed. Um, and for me, it's just armoring myself for that opportunity, the right opportunity in the NBA when you know when a front office position opens up, wherever it may be. Because essentially, you know. That that would be, I think that's the goal for everybody is to be at that level and compete or whatever it may be. Um, and for me, I, I love putting the, the pieces to the puzzle together. So I'm getting the best of both worlds right now in the CBL. I'm getting to put together my team and, and structure a winning organization, not just the players, but, you know, for the whole entire, the whole entire organization rather and, and the, the vision. And then, you know, being in, in, in the broadcast role and I get to now evaluate elite talent at the NBA, G League, national team level. So I'm watching it from two different angles. I, right. I get to see what, what is it, what is NBA talent? What is an NBA player? Not what, you know, an NBA lottery pick is always going to stand out. But people mm -hmm. always lose sight of that is the rest, those, those 24 other picks generally are role guys, mm -hmm. right? What role, like what is an NBA role player? How do you identify that? Um, what is a national team role player or, or, or how do you structure a, nat uh, a national team? So that's what a lot of people always forget. You look at the lottery and everybody gets excited about, you know, the next LeBron, the next, the next KD, the next Kawhi. I have, to, I have to stop you before you do that again. It's a violation on this program to mention a young man from Northeast Ohio by his name because people get emotional about it. Uh, they're trying to protect you know, certain things and certain okay. Things. okay, all right, all right, okay. So we, we refer to him as the hashtag he who shan't be named <laughs> on the podcast, you know, just to save people's emotions. But I, I know where you're going, and I think that's 
grapes, you have, you know, uh, and understand the balance mm-hmm. there. And where I made a comparison between you and Steve Nash, I'm going to make another comparison, uh, not Steve Nash, uh, Steve Kerr. Yeah. I'm going to make another comparison in a minute. But how did it come about that you became a part of the CEBL? What you're doing with Ottawa? How do you feel about your past season and the prospects of the new season? Well, it, it, I actually started out with with me doing some broadcasting for the the bubble season, and then a, a position opened up, and I had you know put my name in the hat for it, and and here we are, right? And I think my year one was it ended up being successful, but I, I wasn't pleased with the regular season. I think I was very vocal and very um, you know voiced that a bit with with just being a natural competitor. I thought we could have been better there, but again, it was you know, my first year in, in that front office, um, you know, pretty much a completely new team, new coaching staff. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. Now, you know, the foundation is laid. It's, it's time to take steps, you know, forward. And I think this year what we're putting together, I think we have something special with some of the guys that have already been named. Um, and then some of the guys that are, are, are about to be named and, and have signed on board. So I think it's, it's going to be a special group and, you know, it also helps that we have, we're hosting championship weekend, which is going to be a nice, um, you know, a nice weekend festival for, for everybody, you know, locally and, and coming in. So, you know, I'm excited about it, man. And I think there's just so much more eyes now on, on the league, on the teams, on they're just even talking to other NBA executives and, you know, them actually acknowledging it more than I, or some of us have given it credit. Right. It's it's so it's it's moving in the right direction. And the caliber of players have have definitely gone up a level each year. Well, you see guys like Xavier Moon from the mm-hmm. Stingers going on to the NBA or Javon Delorier, who, you know, is repped by a Canadian Gary Durant, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you're starting to see all this different connective tissue from above the 49th parallel being engaged and involved in a very major way in the National Basketball Association. And I think that you're in a position to do some great things there. But before we get out of here, mm-hmm. this past weekend, we paid homage to what many, or who many call the greatest Raptor of all time, Kyle Terrell Lowry. And I mentioned Kyle in, this, in these terms. He said that Toronto was always his home, his second home forever. He's going to retire Toronto Raptor no matter where he ends up. But I called Kyle Lowry the Stefan Marbury of Canada. And people laughed, but they weren't really paying attention to why I called him that. Like, they don't look at Canada necessarily as being a foreign country. But if you look at what Stephen Marbury did in China and how beloved he became there, Kyle Lowry has that same status here. Mm-hmm. When it's championship, and even though there have been, you know, you can, you can point to Steve Nash's influence, obviously, here in the country. You can definitely point, especially from your generation, the excitement and the foundation that was poured by Vincent Lamar Carter. Mm-hmm. What he brought to the idea of playing basketball in Canada as a professional. But the first big name free agent to ever stay and say, okay, because of the stigma that was around the metric system and coming up here and it was too cold, this, that, and the third, was Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. And he stuck it out. And they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2016. People thought it was, they were a little bit ahead of schedule. Messiah Jury comes in, he changes the culture but keeps a guy who said, I'm going to be here. Mm-hmm. So this is why I call him the Stefan Mario of Canada, because he made basketball in this country cool for not only the big high flyer guys, but the toughness, the grit that speaks to like what 
Canadians kind of see themselves as these gritty, not super flashy, mm-hmm. hard workers who do anything to help their team win. And Kyle Lowry embodies that. So mm-hmm. would you agree or disagree that that would be an I, You know, it's funny when, when you when you put it into context, I get it. I get it wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, the thing with Kyle too is it started out rocky, right? You remember you're getting a kid from from Memphis that we didn't know much about. You also uh, Philly, you know, tough, little rugged on the edges when he came. Culturally, we weren't accustomed to this when when he came here, right? Vince was a nice guy. He was a highlight reel. He's a nice guy. T-Mac, nice guy. Damon Stoudemire, gritty, tough, you know, more of a skilled guy, not, not, the, not the tough guy that Kyle is. But he, he jumped ship on us, right? So Kyle forced us to love him, right? And then mm-hmm. in the process, we learned that, no, his, his tough nature was actually him expressing his love for this game and how much he competes and how much he gives to it. Mm-hmm. And then we started to love, you know, how hard he competed. And, and it helped our culture, right? So you're right in that sense in, in what he brought to us. Like he's never – Kyle was never going to be, you know, the, the NBA's – star or, or superstar but he was our superstar and it didn't start like that but he he earned he worked his way into that because he worked so hard committed to his craft tough on his teammates tough in the media but guess what he gave it his all he brought this this country a championship this sounds like you're describing someone else i'm talking to right now who's like working towards something and accomplishing something i could be mistaken you could tell me if i'm wrong Hey man, we'll see. We're gonna we're gonna watch it play out. But listen, we're gonna we're gonna archive this because we're gonna come back to this when when the story when that last chapter is written. We're gonna come back and we're gonna circle back here because we're manifesting some things. I question, man. Well, I appreciate your time and consideration today, and it's been great speaking to you. I'm sure we'll speak again off uh, off air because there's some things that I think we're actually probably gonna end up doing together uh, up there in Ottawa. And uh, want to make sure that people know where they can contact you online. You know, we can see the scroll here at the bottom of the screen, but if you want to let them know where they can reach out to you and find out more about what you're doing with CBC, CBL, TSN, NBA TV Canada, like That's national, true. whatever. My Twitter, same, my first name and last name, Javon Shepard, or Instagram, whatever the case may be. I try, and I'm, you know, as engaged as I can be, can be as possible, just answering questions and just, just being out there, man, like just being, you know, in our community, so... You know, shoot me a message anytime, add me, and we'll and, touch base. And let me let me say this. You know, as a person who in the media, I research, I see you're developing your own little team at home. Yeah. Your baby girl, it looks like she's ready to do some work. And I love the fact, like, they can't see your smile yet. But as soon as I said that, there's a brightness to it. It's funny. You, you say it because, and I, I for one, my son, he's two, he just turned two, and he gets it. Like even when I'm when I'm working, he'll say, Daddy game, daddy game. I'll, I'll have film looking up film and he's saying, Daddy game? Yes. And he knows to go, you know, get his ball and sit and watch or go play with Thomas. And then I have my nephew who this past weekend just played his first um tournament in, in the States, his AU, his first AU tournament. And I'm I'm seeing it and it becomes nostalgic just seeing this. And I'm like, one, we're getting old fast, but <laughs> my son, you know, seeing him start to come up into it and, and clearly it's seeds being planted. What he's seeing is invested in my my nephew is is engaged. Like he knows all these young guys. He's active, he's talking about schools now. He, you know, you can just see that competitive nature in him. Like 
they went one and three this 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 weekend, which was you know it was a culture shock for them. But at the same time, he came back and he said they're not even like that. They're not right. they're not even that good. But that's his defense mechanism, right? So mm-hmm. next time, now that he's he's aware of how you know things are going to be, that level of intensity, you go back out there, you reapply a little more everything that you learned. But it's 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 nice to see, man. It's nice to see. Oh, and again, continued success, my man. Uh, we will be talking soon. I appreciate you doing this uh, with me here on The Open Run with Will Strickland. Appreciate it. Winning time on the open run, Will Strickland. I want to thank my man Javon Shepard for coming on and spreading love. It is Strickland way. And with that being said, it is now on to the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Shouts out to Associated Press Coach of the Year, Ken Mulkey from the Louisiana University Sutteron LSU. I always like to say that. Justin Wilson, shout out to you. And longtime Gonzaga assistant under Mark Few, Tommy Lloyd. Now in Arizona, heading up things there. So, shouts out to you guys and congratulations. Also, congratulations should go to Ashley Waters, who's the third woman to ever win the Powerade Jam Fest dunk contest, following in the footsteps of icons like Candace Parker and Stanford's Fran Belibi. Speaking of Stanford and their Final Four run, in that game against Gino Oriema's team that's not supposed to be here, that's the narrative he was running. A double overtime thriller between two of the best college programs in the history of the game. Gino has won 11 NCAA championships. He was the John Wooden of women's basketball. Just not in dispute. It's a lot of titles. A lot of talent. A lot of time. 22 appearances in March Madness. 11 championships. Can't knock it. And Tar Vanderveer is a three-time winner. Runs a quality program. Has the All-American Haley Jones in that squad. Double overtime Great game. One of the best games, men's or women's, during March Madness this year. And UConn went on to defeat Stanford to move on to the national championship game against the team that WNBA legend and arguably the GOAT of women's basketball, Diana Taurasi, on what they call the GOAT cast on ESPNU. They were doing their own kind of like demanding cast they were doing for NFL football. They had two all-time greats coming on. They had a guest. They were talking about the... South Carolina versus Louisville game. And Diana Taurasi was just describing the intense Nolan Richardson 40 minutes of hell type defense that Dawn Staley had employed against the Louisville Cardinal. And she said the cops are too long. And I guess she wasn't really thinking about the context or that we all have dirty minds and we're ridiculous in the social media. But they were all laughing because she wasn't meaning it in an overtly sexual way at all. But that's just how it sounded. And they were too long as Aaliyah Boston powered her team into the national championship final with a 23.18 rebound domination of the University of Louisville. She was also named the player of the year and defensive player of the year, which is an amazing accomplishment and spoke to her dominance as a basketball player this season. Also want to send shouts out to Oscar Shibwe, the player of the year on the men's side from the University of Kentucky. He is only the second of all the storied history of these blue blood teams. The storied history of the University of Kentucky, only he and Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr. have been named Player of the Year from the University of Kentucky. Didn't know that until the other day. Speaking of Blue Bloods, and I've been talking about TV and movies and watching stuff a lot, 
don't tell nobody, but I actually watched the show called The Gilded Age. If you know anything about The Gilded Age, it's like the transition time between the agrarian society of the United States and how they were coming into the industrial age, into the mechanized age. And there were robber barons everywhere taking advantage of that. If you have resources, you had the means and ability to crush your competitors and steal as much as you can steal before these industries became regulated, they did it. So the Gilded Age was like, there's old money versus new money. The four teams that made it to the Final Four on the men's side, Kansas, University of North Carolina, Duke, they're blue bloods. Who's new money? Villanova. But we look at them as blue bloods because Jay Wright has led them to a couple of national championships in the past five, 10 years, and people respect that. But the history is with those other teams and those other programs that have been around forever. So if we were looking at the Final Four on the men's side as the Gilded Age, I guess Villanova would be the new money. And they're trying to keep them out because I know for sure that Kansas kicked them all around. They're All-American. Ochai Baji played like an All-American. His six three-pointers in a row pushed him out to a lead. Insurmountable David McCormick inside was just too big for the Villanova team that was scrappy and tough, but they came up against size and talent. So Kansas going into another final with Bill Self still at the helm. I will say this every time I talk about Bill Self. I don't know how he still has a job, but he is in the running for winning another national championship with the Kansas University Jayhawks. On the other side of that, a legendary game between Duke and North Carolina. The first time they've ever met in the Final Four or in March Madness period, which is amazing to me. But here they are, the 100th time they've met since Coach K has been in the helmet Duke. I'm sure that some of those games included now the University of North Carolina head coach Hubert Davis as an opponent. Nonetheless, in a classic game, back and forth, I don't know how many lead changes and ties there were in the game, but it was an amazing amount. Back and forth flow, befitting the history and legacies of both teams, the narrative that was being spun by the retirement of Mike Krzyzewski, and the first-time head coach and Hubert Davis, whose team destroyed Duke in Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, would he be able to exact revenge? First round draft pick Paolo Bancaro in the lineup doing work. But there were some unheralded stars who showed up and showed out in that game. In the same building that 40 years prior, a young man by the name of Michael Jeffrey Jordan showed up and showed out in New Orleans against Georgetown University. Yeah, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But the road ends here. It's one of the slogans there in New Orleans. During March Madness, the Final Four, somebody's going to win a championship. Someone's going to have a shiny moment, and it won't be Coach K and Duke. Shouts out to Bomani Jones, who had a great time online talking about that. And if you watch his show, Game Theory, in the very first show, they talk about how Coach K had demoralized and demonized all these teams that had majority of black players. And now, guys that they would have never recruited back in the 80s and 90s are all littered throughout the Duke campus. Times change, don't they? And now in the NCAA Finals on the men's side. We have Blue Bloods, Kansas University Jayhawks versus the University of North Carolina Tar Heels, led by Hubert Davis, who is vying to be the third head coach to win a title in his first year at the helm, joining University of Michigan Steve Fisher in 1989 and Kevin Ollie not too long ago at the University of Connecticut. But let's look at the tail of the tape, shall we? They will be playing tonight because we record on Monday. North Carolina is six and five. In title games, including being 2-0 and in the Superdome. And in that 6-5 and five in title games, they have won way back in 1957 against who? Wilton Norman Chamberlain and the Kansas Jayhawks. So there's a lot of history between these blue bloods. Who do you pick? Let me know. You know my socials. You know how to get down. 
on some NBA news, a couple of guys who played for a couple of these Blue Blood universities, Jason Tatum, formerly of Duke, was the player of the week in the NBA last week, as well as Devin Booker, who played as a one-and-done coming off the bench. It is the player of the week from the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference. I'm sure these guys are all going to be watching. There was a great commercial not, not too long ago. I think it was a Corona commercial with Sue Bird, Vince Carter, North Carolina. Sue Bird went to UConn. Christian Leitner, of course, went to Duke. And Devin Booker, who went to Kentucky. And they were talking about the skies of blue and the different shades of blue, which one was the best that all these blues can enjoy watching the game and sipping on a Corona. I don't know if I can have them as a sponsor. Let's look into that. Going back to the NBA and talk about blue. Detroit Pistons, they rock blue and red. And the motorcade, Kate Cunningham, is all gas, no brakes as we come down to the end of the season and the Rookie of the Year race. In March, Kate Cunningham averaged 22, 6, and 7. There are only two players in the history of the game who did that in one month as a rookie, and their names are Michael Jeffrey Jordan and the big O, Oscar Robertson. This past weekend was Countdown Saturday in the NBA, especially in the Eastern Conference, and some of the games of the week had implications. There's nothing like having implications and playoff implications in March and in April. The game that Nick Wright was talking about, the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks, never has a playing team. They're now 10th in the East. Struck so much fear in teams that didn't want to play them in the first round of the playoffs. I get it. you got to play who's in front of you. And it could be Brooklyn. Of course, we already know about Kevin Wayne Durant. But did you know about Ramadan Kyrie, who's averaging 26, 6, and 7 since he started to acknowledge the holiest of holies, the Muslim faith? You know, breaking the fast with fruit on the bench? He's serious about it. Shouts out to Kyrie. Or I'm sorry, Ramadan Kyrie. That's the hashtag now. So we're going to rock with it. Giannis Antetokounmpo is making the MVP push. You saw what he did against Joel Embiid last week. You saw what he's doing against the Brooklyn Nets. He had 44 and 14. He's like, I'm peeing on every hydrant. These are all mine. I got this. Feeling a lot like that. This is coming down to basically almost like a two-man race. Even though Joel Embiid feels like, what do I have to do? Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. In the other game of the week that I want to highlight... Memphis versus Phoenix, number one versus number two in the Western Conference. Is it a playoff preview? Is the Western Conference Finals playoff preview? Could be. People who are taking Memphis for light might not be taking them so light now. Both teams had losing strikes on their resumes at the time. Memphis with a six-game losing strike. The Suns with another high-digit nine-game losing strike on their resume. But with no Demetrius DeMelton Morant, no Jaron Jackson Jr., no problem. The Memphis Grizzlies defeated the Phoenix Suns. Mmm. Where's the power in the Power 10 now? Let's be clear on this. The Power 10, as we announce it each and every week, hasn't really changed that much at number one, the Phoenix Suns. At number two, the Memphis Grizzlies. Shouts out to my man, Stone Cold Stephen Adams, who broke Zach Randolph, Zebo's offensive board season mark there. Congratulations to you, sir. At number three, the Boston Celtics. They will be without the Time Lord, however. Robert Williams III, who has a torn left meniscus out six to eight weeks. It's going to factor into a lot of what Boston does. They're going to show a lot of resiliency. We're going to see what Al Horford, who should be well-preserved from not playing in OKC last year. And the recently acquired Daniel Tice, who knows the system, knows Boston. They feel comfortable with that guy. Are they going to be big enough on the front line to stop the other teams like a Philadelphia that has a Joel Embiid or a Milwaukee with a Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez? We'll find out. And number four, the Miami Heat, the sneaky team, the dark horse team. Those goons from Dade County, a guy who's making a push in the MVP race as well. Luka Lamar Doncic. 
And this Dallas Mavericks are at number five right now. The Milwaukee Bucks at number six. At number seven, the Philadelphia 76ers. And there was an imaginary kind of NBA Finals I've put in my mind based on this beat between Daryl Morey and Ty Lue. Which I found is funny because these guys, are, I don't think either one of these teams are going to make it. And I get it. We're not going to see Kawhi Leonard come back this year. Even though Paul George has come back. He looks great so far. They don't have enough to beat those teams out in the West. I just don't believe they do. They'll be a minor irritation for someone sooner than later. At any rate, the LA Clippers versus the Philadelphia 76ers is an imaginary NBA Finals. Based on Ty Lue and Daryl Morey beefing about a statement that Ty Lue made a week or so ago. That the Sixers wouldn't win any games if James Harden and Joel Embiid didn't go to the line 50 times a game. Are they drawing those fouls? Are they getting those calls? Because that's how the game gets slowed down for those guys. And I could... I guess they cleared that up because it was taken out of context. But Daryl Morey felt like he had to stand up for his guys. I get that. 100%. Goes on Twitter. Starts talking crazy about Ty Lue and the Clippers and everything else. Yeah, oh, but Ty Lue hit him with the bomb. I'm talking about the bomb for real. And it was slick how he said it, too. He said, look, I don't know why Daryl Morey, he, maybe he should stay off of Twitter. I mean, last time he tweeted, it cost the league billions of dollars. He ain't lying. But if anything, you can use those teams on your NBA 2K. Let me know how the finals turn out and who wins it all. At number eight, the Toronto Raptors, who were on a five-game losing strike, including one game where they played against Boston, and Boston was starless for the most part. No Jalen Brown, no Jason Tatum, and of course no Time Lord, but just losing, as a matter of fact, this past weekend to the Miami Heat. Now, when you think about the teams and where the Raptors are placed right now in the seedings, between Boston and Philadelphia, some of their players may or may not be vaxxed. And with the Canadian rules for vaccination being in place, and the fact that these teams are not going to reveal which guys are vaxxed and which guys are not yet, something to consider as you start to prognosticate, because betting is everything today, on who the Raptors will play in the playoffs, the first round of the playoffs, and how their rosters will be affected by the fact that some of these guys probably have not vaxxed. Something to consider. And number nine, the Golden State Warriors, who are looking like they're coming back in the form. They're just waiting for Steph Curry. Let's be clear. I have them this low because they, they haven't been consistent in their winning. Draymond Green's saying that he feels like he's turning the corner physically. They're going to be ready for the playoffs. Jonathan Kaminga is looking like a stud out there, opening up his range, feeling more comfortable on the floor. They're still the most dangerous team in the West. That Even though they have this great record, I don't think that people believe in them because they're a bit older. We'll find out sooner than later. And number 10, the person I think will probably end up winning the MVP, his second in a row, Nikola Jermaine Jokic. And with Michael Porter Jr. on the horizon for being back and being in that lineup, I like that Aaron Gordon is really asserting himself out there. That Will Barton, who I thought would be a problem, is shown to be a true professional doing his job. Shouts out to Will, great name by the way. Monte Morris and Michael Malone steering that ship at number 10. Some milestones to announce. DeMar Darnell DeRozan from the Chicago Bulls. Dropped a 50-burger. Bunch of 50-burgers this year. Not his career high, but shout out to DeMar. Anytime you hit 50, got to celebrate it. It's a celebration, bitches. Let's make it happen. 55 points in a loss. People want to point to the loss so much. Maybe they want to point to the fact that he said that OKC and Golden State should retire his jersey number. I can't imagine if someone else whose name rhymes with the hashtag Hebrew Shan't Be Named would have said something like this in the public sphere. But we already know how that would be. I don't feel the same outrage from Kevin Durant saying that because it's the truth, maybe. Is it? I don't know. You tell me. OKC should retire his judge. I can see that happening, for sure. Does Kevin Durant get a statue outside of the Chase Center? The house that Kevin built. The house that Steph built. The house that Clay built. 
Or is the house that Draymond built? Whole other conversation. But shouts out to KD for that 55 points, which is a career high. And shouts out to Giannis Ugo Laterrence Tentacumpo for surpassing the great artist formerly known as Ferdinand Louis Alcindor Jr. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer in the Milwaukee Bucks history. Salute to Giannis. And salute to the hashtag who eclipsed 37,000 points, the second man to do so. The other man, you know who he is, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And also second in field goals now behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's about 2,300 field goals behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But Kareem didn't shoot that many threes. So it is what it is uh, with 13,543 field goals and counting for the hashtag he who shan't be named who's still in the running for the scoring championship even if their prospects for making the play-in situation are fading quickly. The Cleveland Cavaliers, shout out to you for the first winning season without the hashtag he who shan't be named on your roster since 1997-98. And the last milestone I want to announce is for Christopher Emmanuel Paul, who is now third on the all-time assist list, passing Stephen John Nash. He is currently first in offensive rating for guards in the NBA, leads the league in assist-to-turnover ratio, and also leads the league in assists per game. But the cherry on top of that is he's been named an advisor on the HBCU Council, appointed by President Joe Biden for all of his work his tireless and fruitful work with HBCUs through his endorsements, his, his leadership, and his guidance. And I think that's a great honor for Chris Paul. So congratulations to Chris. What is the great honor, and that I didn't announce earlier for a reason, is the 2022 Women's National Basketball Champions, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, led by the first African-American person to win multiple championships, male or female, in the history of the NCAA is Dawn Staley. So congratulations, she won her first one with Asia Wilson, perennial all-star in the WNBA and MVP of the league a couple of years back. They won in 2017. She has a statue outside of the arena there in Columbia, South Carolina. Dawn Staley gets one. I'm sure Aaliyah Boston will have something out there sooner than later. It's an amazing accomplishment, defeating, I mean, from wire to wire. Just beat down UConn. The defense was incredible. It must have been another movie reference. It was, and maybe I'm old because I'm talking about Back to the Future. It was their density. I mean, their destiny. As in Destiny Henderson, who led them with 26 points. She was everywhere. The guard play for the Gamecocks was incredible because you knew they were going to try and double and triple team Aaliyah Boston, who still averaged 17 and 17 as the most outstanding player of the tournament. 17 to 17 are monster numbers. She did that. But Destiny Henderson, she gets her shouts out and her flowers right here as well. The O had to go. And Gino Oriema is no longer undefeated in national championship games. His unfinished business that is now finished. They were stinging the whole year from the loss in the final four to Stanford, not going on to the final game. They kept that on their calendar. They kept focused. They won the championship, so shouts out to all the ladies as Dawn Staley. She announced even the ladies who didn't get to play that much, who helped prepare her team to have the stamina and the rigor to do what's necessary to win this title. And I remember that when they were promoting the tournament, they had all these highlights of all these players from the NCAA who were playing the March Madness. And then at the end of it, they showed Aaliyah Boston crying from last year. Or maybe next year when they start the promo for the tournament, they'll show some emotional regulation and show her smiling with the national championship in her hand and national championship hat on her head, no matter what. 
and Dawn Staley and Aaliyah Boston and Asia Wilson and even the, the woman that Aaliyah Boston shouted out in her moment of glory, Candace Parker, they've been inspired by someone. Now, inspiration could have come from the only HBCU that ever made the Women's National Championship game, Cheney State, 40 years prior. So C. Vivian Stringer is the giant on whose shoulders Dawn Staley stands. Candace Parker is a giant on whom Asia Wilson and Aaliyah Boss is on her shoulders. They stand. I want to shout out the ladies once again for an amazing tournament. Be sure you watch the men's tournament, the championship game between Kansas and the University of North Carolina this evening. Make sure you continue to listen to the podcast where basketball and life are one. So until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And check out the open run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man. Do what you do when you do it, homeboy. Easy.